Sometimes it's always good to review your what you're doing and why you're doing it, no matter what operation you're in. Um, I remember, you know, talking about uh, basics in my previous uh, employment when I was uh, in secular employment. Uh, I was in uh, finance, I was in uh, customer service in management for almost 45 years in various functions in uh, two different states and organizations. And uh, one of them, uh, I was a finance officer in Arizona, a very small town called Page near Lake Powell. It's about a three iron shot from the Utah border to put that in perspective if you can picture that. And anyway, I was dealing with finances for the local utility there. And even though those were electronic records, I remember the old, old days when you had the green ledger sheets, you had the eye shade, the ledger books that were about that thick and this big as the top of this thing and woe be tied if you dropped that on your foot because you were going to limp for about a week if you did. And they tell a story about this old bookkeeper. And this was in the days of, you know, the green eye shade, the high stool, the high table. Think, think Bob Cratchit from uh, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. And this old fellow would come in each morning and unlock his desk, sit down, he'd pull the drawer out, he'd look at it, put the drawer back, lock it again, go about his day doing his journal entries. Well, after 50 or so years, he retired. And of course, this was back way, way before there were pensions and 401ks and Roth IRAs and all of those cute little financial instruments. So when it came time for him to retire, he had, they gave him a party and they gave him the proverbial gold watch. <coughs> So he left. Next day, people, his co-workers, could hardly wait to break the door down to get in the office to open his desk to find out what in the world he looked at every morning for 50 years. So they got a key. They opened this drawer, and there's a little piece of paper about that big. And it said, debits on the left, credits on the right. That's all he needed to know. <laughs> to, to put, to show you what, back in the old days, on a T account like that, debits went there, credits went there. 
As long as he could remember that, he was fine. <laughs> I listed a couple of um, uh, scriptures on your handout there that we'll look at. We'll probably look at a lot more than that. And I'll be reading from a number of uh, translations, so probably at some point one of them will be what you have in your hand, either in person and hard copy or electronically. But let's look first off at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to read out of two different translations first off and make just a few comments about that as before we move on. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, that's from the New King James Version. The New Living Bible puts it this way, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so your first fill-in there is we have Scripture that is given for our benefit. We have Scripture that is given for our benefit. Now let me go back and just do a little looking under the twigs and leaves of that verse, so to speak. All scripture, what's, what's the word all mean in English? Every part. Everything. Every part. What about French? Every part. <laughs> German, Italian, Russian, Chinese, all means all, right. All scripture is given by inspiration. It's God-breathed profitable for gain or value for doctrine the act of teaching for reproof reproving exposing for correction restoration to an upright state for instruction chastening as in instruction maybe of a child and righteousness that the man of God may be complete let me stop and hit the pause button on that because for so, so many years that has been thrown out and ladies have in some cases been told, well, you know, the men take care of things and you sit in the corner and you don't have to do anything. If you look at what that word is <clears throat> in the Koine Greek, 
the common everyday Greek language. That word is an is anthropos. Anthropos. Does that sound like an English word that we know about? Anthropology is what comes from that. The study of human societies, culture, and their development. The NLT that I read the second time gets it pretty good. It said God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work, male and female. And then if you flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, And it reads, and he gave, who's he? He gave himself, he himself gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed for, for, to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. If you go back, it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. Not, not everybody, some, some. So your second fill in there, Jesus provides leaders to equip us for service. Jesus provides leaders to equip us for service. Now, if you flip over a couple of pages in Ephesians to chapter 6, back up just a second uh, for you you folks that, that came in that first fill in we have scripture that's given for our benefit we have scripture that's given for our benefit and then the second fill in Jesus provides leaders to equip us for service so if you flip over a few pages to Ephesians chapter 6 starting in verse 10 it reads like this, the final word, be strong in the Lord and in his might. Put on all of God's armor. All of God's armor. So that you may be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers 
and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Literally, in the heavenlies is what that means. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you may be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts of the evil one. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Your number three fill-in is we need to prepare ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves. In verse 11, it says, put on all, but there's that word again, all of God's armor. And then Paul enumerates what all of that is. In verse 13, it says, put on every piece of it. Don't leave anything out. Belt of Truth that I was reading from the NLT, the body armor, the breastplate, righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. If you're going into battle, if you're going on duty, you need all of God's armor. I've caught several years ago when I was filling in for pastor, I gave a 25 and a half second biography of how I wound up here to <clears throat> pester and antagonize a lot of people here at Pitts. I've been here about uh, four years I moved from Arizona in October of 2019 and met my lovely wife Lois from Dr. Patterson's class. I grew up in Kentucky, spent 40 years there. My first wife and her two daughters uh, grew up and we, in 1988, we uh, where, uh, where I was, I was licensed and ordained, and we went and moved to Arizona to do mission work on the Navajo Reservation. We were out there for about three years, and that work wrapped up, and we moved into Page, the border town that I was mentioned a while ago. And I was there for um, 
Oh, 1980, 1990 to uh, 2005. And then I moved to Prescott or Prescott Valley, Arizona, which is kind of the central part of the state. And uh, I worked there for uh, another municipal utility, uh, Prescott Valley, the town of Prescott Valley. And uh, I retired from there in 2012. And of course, by that time, our daughters had uh, married and moved on and provided between the two of them, six grandkids, four and two. And then in 2015, my wife developed a malignant G4 brain tumor. And that took her in nine months. I was the 24-7 caregiver for that uh, period of time. During which time after I retired, you know, you, you get tired of, of reading and writing. I am a writer and published author, but you do get tired of things. So I joined the uh, sheriff's office in uh, the county there, Yavapai County. It's a real small county. 8,600 square miles, which is as big as all of the New, Eng <clears throat> all of the New England states, to, to put that in perspective. I went through their academy. Uh, I joined the volunteer force, and it was one of the very few law enforcement agencies in the country that had armed volunteers. Most agencies that have volunteers, they have a banner on the side of the vehicle, it's about two feet tall and six feet wide, it says volunteer. We didn't have that. We drove the same rigs that the deputies did. We had a badge and a sidearm, we had to go through an academy of 130 plus um, field and training hours, uh, class hours, and then at least three different uh, field training sessions above and beyond that before we could go out and patrol on ourselves. The firearms course that we had was 40 hours, and it was the exact same course as the certified deputies had. And we had to qualify twice a year just like the deputies did. And if you didn't, you didn't patrol. So I did that for three years. I uh, was our area coordinator for a while. And it, when I got out of the academy, I was I was, I, grew, I was a city kid. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. So, uh, unlike my dad and many people, I, I had no exposure to any kind of firearms. So, 
I kind of struggled to get out of the academy, but I made it. I, I passed. Um, on a good day, I could probably hit the ball from here <laughs> three out of four times, maybe, or five. But through that training, um, we had monthly training sessions above and beyond uh, the other things. And it was free ammo, so on a Saturday afternoon, morning and afternoon, we pump four or 500 rounds through our sidearm practicing and training. Anyway, uh, over time, I've improved and the volunteer instructor who was a former army captain actually wanted me to be a firearms instructor <laughs> and he loaned me the uh, book to look at. I'm looking around at some of your Bibles. It was about that thick and I looked at it and I said, uh, brought it back to him, I said, well captain, if I was 20 years younger, I would have probably done it. But uh, crawling around on the ground, trying to reload shotguns and revolvers and semi-autos and long guns with one hand, and one arm, uh, while crawling and ducking and dodging. Uh, you know, we, we don't need uh, folks to show up with the gurney to help carry me off there. So anyway, I turned in my badge and bullet. <laughs> and then cast about what else could I do. So I went to the local hospital and for about a year I was a volunteer chaplain at her hospital there in Prescott Valley. So anyway, basically, for those of you that don't know much about me, why that's my routine and whole um, existence up to this point. When I said in there, your handout for number three, we need to prepare ourselves. Think back to your schooling, <laughs> college, high school, graduate school, when you went to class, the teacher or professor, she or he, gave the lesson and you were there, hopefully, most of the time. But you had to prepare and do more than that. You had to do the tests, you had to do the term papers, you had to do the theses. Now, I had to do all that. Maybe there's people out there that just learn things by osmosis. I couldn't do that. That was not my uh, whatever. But we need to prepare ourselves. Pastor Scott, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Kevin, is our, there's a, 
my granddaughter says, Kevin with hair and Kevin without hair. <laughs> they can give the best lesson possible. But until we read and study and dig out things on our own, we're not going to learn. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Who correctly explains the word of truth. How many times have you been talking with somebody, a co-worker maybe, somebody, an acquaintance, a family member, and somehow or another the conversation comes around to scripture or religion, if you want to use that generic amorphous term. And they say something or the topic comes up and you say to yourself well, I remember pastor talked about that last Wednesday night and then two months ago he had a handout Sunday morning about that but I just can't I, I, I can't remember that verse I, I can't remember that and then if the conversation kind of goes sideways, then what do you do? After that, you get back to home and, oh, now there it is. That's, that's the other. I should, I should have known that. That's what we need to do when Paul is telling Timothy, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker who correctly explains the word of truth. If this Bible that you have is opened Sunday morning and sits on the shelf until the next Sunday morning, not going to be a whole lot of learning done. Romans 12 beginning in verse 3 says for by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, 
and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then if you flip a few more pages and come to James chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, it says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. One body, many members, different functions. Your number four fill-in is we need to be doers of the Word. We need to be doers of the Word. James says, don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Just like when you're confronted with that situation where you're trying to remember, well, where was that verse that would really address this situation I'm talking to this person with? Don't just listen. Do what it says and dig in to the word there. Follow, follow the example of the Bereans. Look over, look back at Acts 17.11. It says, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were telling the truth. They search the scriptures daily. Do we search the scriptures daily? Do I search the scriptures daily? Do I prepare myself like I should? Let's see here. We, we don't need a account there we're not going to have an accounting lesson or are we <laughs> if now again you have to remember my artistic skills this is entertained for entertainment purposes only. It's not accurate. But if, I, if this were a geographic um, representation of something, what would you think it is? A deflated balloon. The Dead Sea. Why is it called the Dead Sea? 
It takes in, it takes in, it takes in, and doesn't give out. Don't be like the Dead Sea. Prepare ourselves. Our, your number five, fill in there. We need to find our places of service. We need to find our places of service. And let me toss this thought out for you to chew on. Our service that we do for God's kingdom, it's not a competition. It's not a competition. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. Our job is to do and what we can as best we can using those gifts and abilities that we have been given. If I, for example, I see Kathy and Drew sitting here, I see Charlie and other folks, Joyce, teachers, if I compared myself to them, I quit. I can't do what they can do. They're great. But it's not a competition. It's not a competition. This, uh, <clears throat> for entertainment purposes only, representation of the Dead Sea, I ran into the, that one time at a church that I attended in Louisville. It was a small church, um, probably on a good Sunday, might be 60, 70 people. And it tended to be skewed toward the older group. They'd been there a long time. <coughs> They'd uh, uh, grown up with uh, I think the founding pastor and the current pastor had been there many times. And he was a tremendous teacher. In fact, he mentored me to the extent that encouraged me to prepare myself to teach and to share. And so one Sunday when I was serving as uh, Sunday school superintendent. That was, you know, a real tough job. There was like four classes, so it wasn't too much even I could handle that. But one Sunday downstairs were, was a class for the little guys. And for whatever reason, the teacher wasn't there. Um, he couldn't make it. I didn't know he wasn't going to be there. So, my bright bulb comes on. <clears throat> Upstairs, there was, I think it was a, a little girls class, or three or four little girls, maybe, I don't know, four or five years old. 
So I came upstairs and there were there was a older senior men's class on one side of this dividing wall, and then on the other side was a ladies' class. And there was about 20 or 30 ladies there. And I came up, I asked the teacher if I could interrupt for a second. I said, ladies, we have a need this morning. Uh, brother or sister, whoever it was, so-and-so wasn't there. And they, our kids, they don't have any teacher down there. Would one of you all be willing to go down for about 40 minutes and teach the little people class? So I So I stood there, and I stood there, and I stood there. These ladies that I'm talking about in that class, they had been in that class week after month after year. I don't think any of them had been in that class less than maybe 20 or 25 years. Finally, I guess they got tired of me standing there kind of glaring at them, basically. In the back, a lady raised her hand. She said, well, I'll go down. I'll, I'll teach the class. And I said, thank you. I had never seen her before. She was a visitor. <laughs> I, it took me a little while to get over that. Let's just put it that way. The point is, prepare yourself, study the Word, always be ready. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the Word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. And Paul was writing to Timothy, who was a young pastor. He went on to say, for the time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound, wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. They will look for teachers who tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Sound familiar, maybe? Look at what God's Word calls His people. In 1 Corinthians 4, we're called a servant. Acts and Romans, many places through those two books were called ministers. Second Corinthians 5, we're called an ambassador. And Acts and Corinthians and Timothy were called witnesses. We're called witnesses. 
Now I mentioned that we need to find our places of service. But here's a caveat I'm going to toss out. A caution. Just because you don't see somebody doing actively something that you can see, don't think they're not involved in God's service. Don't, don't be too quick to um, you know, pull out your notebook and say, okay, I haven't seen him do anything. Only how she hadn't done much. How did we know that that person doesn't spend hours and hours in prayer for what happens here on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, special events? How do we know that that person doesn't give of his or her time to some worthy mission, local mission work that's not on Sunday morning, it's not on Sunday night or Wednesday night or Friday morning or whatever. Think back to Romans 12 for a minute, what we just read a while ago. One body, many members, different functions. Think of a, an orchestra, an orchestra. Every member of that orchestra works together. Nobody is, is unimportant in that orchestra. Uh, there are different ways to configure them, but uh, generally a conductor stands in front at his or her podium. The audience is behind. And then out in front, over here, typically there's first and second violins, maybe. The violas might be here. The cello, the double bass on this side. Then stepping back a little bit, you have the woodwinds, the flutes, oboes, clarinets, bassoons. Although I have seen some orchestras where um, they've moved some of the brass instruments over behind the, the cello section. And then behind them you'll have the brass section, the French horns, the trumpets, the trombones, the tubas. And then around the very back is the percussion section, the drums, the snare drums, the kettle drums, the cymbals, the, uh, the things that make noise that are fun. Well, they tell a story about an orchestra conductor who was conducting a dress rehearsal the afternoon before their performance. The dress rehearsal is where all everybody puts on their tux, their evening dress, and gets ready to play that piece of piece or pieces of music before the actual performance so they can see and feel what they look like. 
Well, there was one young lady who played the piccolo. Piccolo is a very short wood wind instrument about that long. It looks like a miniature flute. A flute you play like this, piccolo you play like that. It has a very high-pitched sound to it. But she just somehow, for a long time, she just felt like, well, what, you know, what am I doing? Nobody knows I'm here. They can't hear me. I don't matter. So what did she do on the afternoon of the dress rehearsal? She was sitting behind one of the bassoon players who was kind of a big, giant, economy-sized guy like me, and she just kind of scrunched down behind him. And she couldn't see and wasn't in the line of sight of the conductor. And she just kind of held her piccolo. So when the orchestra conductor tapped his baton and everybody picked up their instruments and he started to play and conduct the piece. And they played six or eight measures of this particular piece. And he said, stop, stop, everybody. What's wrong? And he said, where is the piccolo? Where is the piccolo player? Well, Miss scrunched down behind the big guy, peeked out, well, I'm here. I just didn't feel like playing. I didn't think I was important. They can't hear me. He said, young lady, you are as important to this orchestra as this first violin sitting here. Every member of this orchestra is important. No member is unimportant. That's the attitude that we should have. Amen. Don't just say, well, I'm whatever. You are a child of God and you have a purpose. Mark chapter 4 has one of the accounts of the parable of the sower. The farmer went out and he scattered seed on the footpath and the birds ate it. He put on shallow soil. It sprouted, but it didn't take root. Other seed fell on the thorns and some seed fell on the fertile soil. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching and to observe all that I have commanded you to hold. I am with you always to the end of the age. Literally, that last phrase means to the consummation of the age. Your last billion always sow the seed, the word of God. Always sow the seed, the word of God. As I tell my community group, we're not soil inspectors, we're seed sowers. We have scripture given for our benefit. God, Jesus provides leaders to equip us. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to be doers of the word. We need to find our places of service. And we need to be sowers of the seed. And before we get to prayer time, I leave you with that challenge question there at the end. If you were on trial, accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You would go through the arraignment, you'd go through the interrogatories, you'd go through the deposition, you'd go through the wadir. Prosecution would present their case, the defense would present your case, the jury retires. What would they vote? What would they say? Yes, he's guilty. He's definitely a Christian. Look at all the things that he's done. Well, no, she's not guilty. We can't find anything that would indicate she was a Christian. Or what if the jury came back a hung jury? They couldn't decide. There's not enough evidence one, <clears throat> one way or the other. Think about what that verdict would be in my case and in your case.